Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. I want you to know the deacons were taking names of those laughing at my waiters. <laughs> Unfortunately, their names are at the top of the list, so it does me no good whatsoever. <laughs> if today, and what a, what a great day. If today is your first day at Grace Community Church. You picked a wonderful day to be here. The music, as always, was just wonderful. Michael, thank you for the wonderful job you did. David, the team, always prepare so diligently for this week. And this week, uh, David was in classes all week long in his Ph.D. work. So we're grateful for, for the extra work that people put in this week. But what a day to be here with seven young men and women being baptized. And others wanted to get in. We'll be having another baptism before too long. If you have not been baptized, please talk with me. I, I just love to rock those waiters again sometime in the very near future. So talk to me. Let's, let's, let's get it done. It's so important. These seven young men and women proclaimed that they belong to Jesus and to his covenant family here at Grace. I had the privilege of hearing their stories this week about how they came to faith of Christ, in Christ, how they understood that Jesus died for their sins and that their only hope of heaven is through Christ. I don't suppose I have ever talked, especially to middle schoolers, as straight as I did this week to say when I was coming along, when your parents were coming along and we made the decision to follow Christ and we were baptized publicly stating our affiliation with him, people applauded. And even though we applauded as a family here today, not a lot of the world is applauding anymore when you take that stand. And it's going to be much more difficult for you than it was for us coming along. And I think to a person, they got it. Every single one of them said, yes, I want to take this step. I belong to Jesus. And so much more was going on in these waters this morning than just them saying, I belong to Jesus, although belonging is absolutely what baptism is about. When a, young or a younger man or woman or an older man or woman is baptized at grace, each one is saying, in effect, I identify with Jesus. I give him my whole life. For the rest of my years, I will follow him no matter what. At the same time, Jesus is saying, I belong to Christina. I belong to Morgan. I identify with them. We think about it in our circles of Identifying with him, but according to Romans 6, he's identifying with us as well as we are identifying with him. Think about it. Jesus identified with us when he came into this broken world. Born as a baby to a poor family. Not to a very wealthy family, but to an incredibly poor family. And then he further identified with us when he went down into the Jordan River. And, and where John the baptizer was appropriately baptizing people. And he says, baptize me. And John is like, no, no, I cannot put these polluted waters, polluted by the sins of all the people who have been baptized on that holy head. And Jesus said, it must be done, John. It must be done. 
when Jesus was baptized in God's plan, it was so much more than an example, though it was indeed that. It was part of God's plan for our righteousness, a righteousness that we had no hope of attaining. You'll recall from these many weeks that we have spent in the book of Hebrews that Jesus identified with us fully. That's when I'm behind. I try to put words together. Jesus identified with us by going to Calvary, bearing our sins on the cross. The worst sin you have ever committed was on Jesus that day. And the least sin, sins that you don't even know that you have committed. Sins that separated us from God were upon Jesus that day. And he shed his blood in order that those who believe God's promises in him will have eternal life. The baptism this morning was a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and our union with him. And and, and that is ours when we repent and believe. When you go under, it's like you're dying and then you're coming up raised to walk in newness of life. Avery, I saw this much that didn't go under. That's why I slapped some water on her when she she came out. Uh, It's got to get it all all wet. Here's something very important to know, though. Baptism without faith means nothing. Baptism without faith means nothing. Those of you who were baptized as infants, and we do accept that. We don't practice it here. We don't, if you come and say, would you baptize our babies? No, we, we won't. But we do accept the fact that believers have different views on this. And those who were baptized as infants and can understand that baptism in the context of covenant uh, theology, we allow that. But if you were baptized as an infant, you must come to some point in your life where you say, I recognize that my only hope of heaven is Jesus. Now, if you've said all your life, I, I, I don't ever remember a time I didn't believe in Jesus. That's okay, too. I, I used to have no category for that. You know, in order to be saved, you had to come to the front of a church, kneel and pray. And then, you know, the pastor would say, all in favor of little Josh Tate coming to join us in our, and upon his profession of faith, say, I, I, all opposed, no, like sign. The, 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 the motion is carried. They never gave anybody a chance to say no. Nobody would have, I'm sure. But, but it, that's the way you think it, it, it works. Look, we must at some point believe that we're sinful human beings and that Jesus came as the perfect divine human sacrifice that we talked about last week. When he died on the cross, he did so in our place, taking the punishment just like you were to take the punishment for your brother or sister. Most of you are not crazy enough to do that because you'd be doing it all the time. But he took the punishment for us. He was eligible because he was perfect. He was spotless. And unless we believe that, you can be baptized 50 times and it means nothing. With faith, baptism is the initiation into God's family. And while the church is worldwide and stretches over 2,000 years ago, you didn't know this, but most of what is written in the New Testament was written to Grace Community Church in Andrew, North Carolina for the 21st century. Okay, well, it was first 
written to the church at Philippi and the church at in churches in Galatia and the little persecuted house church in Rome that received this incredible sermon and letter of Hebrews. But most of the New Testament letters were written to local churches. We went to a concert Friday night, Hillsong. Allison just had to have a you know, Hillsong, uh, an Australian uh, fix, just hearing people talk funny. Uh, and so we went, and they talked funny. They don't sing funny. They do talk funny, though, you know. They sing just like us, which ought to tell the rest of the world, the English-speaking world, something, right? Um, but, but we went, and they kept saying, oh, let's do this church. And in a sense, they were absolutely correct. The, the universal church, the church as a whole, all who believe in Jesus are a part of the church. But the letters were written to this church and this church. And the body of Christ, talking about this group of believers that are gathered together. It's very personal within families. It's talking to families. Now, anywhere you go in the world, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. When you believe in Jesus, that's a beautiful thing about the body of Christ. It's so much bigger than what we know. But again, first and foremost, it was to local churches. These letters were to local churches. They were not written, as we like to think in our day, first to the individual, and let's just hope the church gets it right. Actually, the church isn't getting it right. No, they were written to local churches with significant impact and implications for individuals in the family. The baptism this morning was conducted one person at a time. But this was about family. That's why we did it in this place publicly. And that's why you were, woo! You weren't only saying good for you. You were saying good for us. This is our family. And these guys are a full participant in the family here at Grace. And by the way, if you've been baptized somewhere else, you don't need to be baptized here. If you have never been baptized and you know Jesus as your Savior, absolutely, let's do it. Stand up and we'll do it now. Take me a few minutes to get in those, you know. (sighs) But let's do it soon. And now we come to worship. At church. Well, actually, we've already been worshiping. Yeah, that's right. We've already been singing. Actually, we've been worshiping since David began with the announcements. So if someone says to you, did you make it to church on time? You say, I missed the announcements, but I made it to worship. You're not. That's not exactly accurate. Every New Testament letter has announcements of some sort. There, even in Hebrews, that's the closest thing to a sermon in the entire book of the Bible. There's a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of announcement kind of material at the very end of the sermon. So, if at all possible, be here at 10 a.m. when David starts giving announcements. That's when our worship begins. This morning, we have gathered to worship just like our brothers and sisters have done since Jesus rose from the dead. Today's text, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, is like an invitation to a feast of worship. And we have come to this feast because of the finished work of Jesus that we have spent so much time learning about and absorbing 
over these months in Hebrews. The table has been set in the first ten chapters and now we gather yet again to worship at the very throne of God. Our text, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, will be read from the English Standard Version. And as is our custom, I would invite you to stand as we read the Scripture. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, does that all come back to you? The tabernacle that he talked about, the holy place, the most holy place or the holy of holies? We have been invited to come into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Torn at Jesus' crucifixion when he said, it is finished. It ripped from top to bottom. And it was opened into the very presence of God. And then verse 21 says, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near father lord we anticipate with saints for 2000 years that your return is near and whether it be before we finish this service or it be 10,000 years from now our hearts need to constantly be in tune with you looking for the return of Jesus Christ in the day that we will stand before him Lord, we have a lot to do with one another as we look to you. So open our hearts and fill them full this morning. And may our lives and our minds be committed not only to the truth of your scripture, but to apply in what we learn. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Thank you. So here we are. Our Good friend Joe Hunziker in Italy. So often when he starts a conversation, whether it be through Skype or when you see him or when we come to a meeting, he'll say, here we are, here we are. And I just love what's coming from Joe. I love his heart for Jesus. Here we are gathered as the household of God before the throne of God, worshiping our creator and our redeemer. Let's be clear. We don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve for that that curtain to be torn and being ushered right into the very presence of God. You could certainly say that we are unworthy and yet the Lord has made us worthy. We don't deserve to be here any more than the Israelites were allowed to be in God's direct presence in the tabernacle. And once a year that high priest went into the Holy of Holies. What a privilege it was. He might not have considered it a privilege. It was a fearful thing to go in there and be reminded that unless God was merciful, 
as he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, that their sins would remain with them. Now Hebrews 10 tells us that by the tearing of Jesus' flesh on our behalf, the curtain that separated God and us has been torn in two. And we have been invited to draw near to him with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We don't have to be timid like that high priest was when he went in. We could come in with a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. On the basis of all that has been said in Hebrews up to this point, uh, the author gives now three exhortations to his readers. Look at these. Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a whole lot of us in this text. In fact, there's a whole lot of let us do this as the body of Christ. God has designed for us to live this Christian life in community. And there is instruction about how we are to live in this covenant community life. And on the basis of these three commands, let's think about three ways to understand and obey this text. Beginning with rejoice freely in the forgiveness of sins and the access to God that we have through Jesus. I remember I used to hear people give testimonies and they'd start off with, I'd just like to thank God for my salvation. And I would think, a little more creative maybe. And then one day it hit me. Nothing better than to say, I, I just want to thank God for the forgiveness of sins. I, I, I thank God for my salvation. The salvation that He has given to me. Not anything that I've done. I thank Him for what He has done for me. I know that some of you are here to see family members or friends baptized this morning. And you maybe feel, <coughs> maybe feel a little bit at loss. I mean, look, we've been in the book of Hebrews since mid-September. You come in without any knowledge of our study up to this point. Uh, as is the case in most of the New Testament, so it is in Hebrews, that the author gives a great deal of information about who we are in Christ, who God is, what he has done, how we are to relate to him, especially as the covenant people of God. And then he begins to give instruction. Well, Hebrews, we're just now getting around to instruction. Most of you, the, 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 the knowledge that you have about the book of Hebrews begins in chapter 11. And then it goes on in chapter 12, a handful in chapter 13. But... That doesn't mean nearly as much until we know everything that God has told us about who we are in Christ. Why is it that God gives so much information before he gives instruction? Because a lot of people, when they're looking for a church, they, they, they just say, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me how I'm going to get by this week. Just tell me. <clears throat> I had somebody, my spouse walked out on me. I've been told I have cancer. How am I supposed to live? Just tell me. Well, if you understand who God is and all that he has done for us, that begins to answer itself. And if you don't know who God is and our relationship, our relationship with him through Christ, then how we behave is of no consequence at all. doesn't matter. I know that person's going to heaven. He's good. 
What does he believe, Jesus? He does the best he can. I mean, we all believe in Jesus, right? We're Americans. I mean, most of us anyway. And, and, and we, so, see, most people think of the Bible as a book that tells us what to do. It does have plenty to say about how we should live. But it's first and foremost a book that tells us what God has done for us through Jesus. Religion of all kinds says, uh, religion says, do this and God will be pleased with you. The Bible tells us there is no way you can please God apart from something happening to your sins. And that happens through Jesus. Good news. God loved you so much that he did not want you to stay in your sin. He sent Jesus who died for you. A good way to remember what the Bible teaches is to say that it's a book about done rather than a book about do. What has God done? Then you can start worrying about what God wants you to do. Most of us, doesn't matter if we're Christians or we belong to a Christian denomination. We are Buddhist or Hindu or don't believe anything, but we just want to do our best for our fellow man. We live our lives trying to be good enough to get into heaven. The message of Hebrews is that God has made that way to heaven through Jesus. And here's just one of the beautiful things about believing what God says to us in Jesus. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. I'm going to guess that most of you, believer and non-believer alike, walked in this morning with something that always plays at the edges of your mind, some guilt, something that you've done somewhere in your life. And you spend your life hoping that nobody finds out. <laughs> what am I going to do if people know? Or what would people say if they only knew? Through the blood of Christ, when you confess your sin, it's done. Might it have consequences? Yes. But look, as far as your relationship with God, and it should be your relationship with the body of Christ, <coughs> your sin is gone. The great news in our text is we are completely forgiven when we believe Jesus. And we can enter into the presence of God with confidence. Whatever you've done, whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever it is, when you stand before God in eternity, you'll never think about it again because of what Jesus has done. My friend, I think I've said it recently, my friend Denton says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, I knew I was the person God said I was. I just knew I was. We don't always know it here, right? But God tells us who we are in Jesus, and it's our job to believe him. Our hearts are sprinkled with his blood. Our bodies are washed with water. Now, there are a lot of people who say that's talking about baptism. And while it would be really cool for it to be baptism, most likely it's the same thing he's talking about. We're, we're washed clean with the blood of Christ. We are cleansed from our sins. Let me just talk to you a moment about your faith. I, I know that there are some of you who struggle with doubting your salvation. I am not nearly as worried about you as the people who are absolutely certain that they are saved in Christ, but it just seems to have no meaning whatsoever in their everyday lives. If you're worried that your faith is too, too weak, quit looking at your faith. Begin looking steadfastly on the object of your faith. 
Jesus. The more you worry about, did I believe just right? Did I believe enough? The more tenuous your faith becomes. Because faith that is self-referential or constantly trying to determine its own quality. Is my faith strong enough? Is it good enough? Faith that is self-referential always loses its cause, which is to believe in another. If you have faith in someone, you have faith in that person. If you have faith in Jesus, it's him who's going to save you. And you've got to quit worrying about, did I believe well enough? Just believe him. If you're saying this morning, I'm just not sure I have faith the way that, or I have faith that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'm not sure what I believe. Understand this. This is the way God presents himself in scripture. I have spoken. My final word is Jesus. I will reveal as much of myself as I deem you need to know about me. I will not defend myself to you. Have faith. My call to you is to believe. Have faith in Christ. We worship together this morning as those who know that there is nothing good in us that caught God's eye. It's not like he's saying, you know, a lot of people messed up in this Harnett County, Wake County area. Sean Sizemore, he's the man. I think I'm going to bring him into my family. There's nothing in any of us that caught God's eye. That caused him to say, I'll take you. I'll take you. We are only alive spiritually by the mercy and grace of God. We would say that we're unworthy. In truth we are. But as I mentioned earlier, we have been made worthy to worship our God in his presence through Jesus. We come to church on Sunday morning and the, and the music just leads us to that place of worship. We hear the word and our hearts worship. But just think if we were in the very presence of God, it would feel very differently as holy as he is. But our hearts have been sprinkled clean. We are in essence perfect when we stand before God to worship. We come to this very throne room of God on the basis of what Jesus has done for us just as we were commanded. What a privilege to obey this command to worship the Lord in the very throne room of God. The second word of encouragement is great as well. It is to hold unswervingly to the truth of Scripture and the promise of eternal life. Now, you... A legitimate question might be, why would you throw a word unswervingly in there, you know, in the points? Actually, it's probably the best translation for the Greek word that we translate hold fast to your confession of hope. Hope, let us hold fast to our confession of hope. Hope in the New Testament Hopefully you know this by now. Hope in the New Testament is always referring to eternal life, our life with Jesus. Romans 8 says that hope that has been realized is no longer hope. He's talking about all the creation groans waiting for the redemption of the body of those who believe in Jesus. When Jesus returns, everything will be made right. 
when pastors begin to talk about the great and incredible things God can and will do for you in your business and your personal life, then I fear that they're often confused about the focus of God's promises. It is true that God does great things for us. And He opened up doors for you and your business and your job. And, and, and when you saw your husband or wife, you said, This is it. This is it. Somewhere along the way you said, This is it. You know, this is it. But no, no. You, it, God does beautiful things for us. And when we pray about them, He opens doors. But sometimes He does not. When we get to Hebrews 11, he'll, he's going to say, By faith, these were delivered from the mouths of lions and all of those things, and others were sawn in half. And one didn't have faith and the other did. You know, it's not a matter of if you have enough faith. If you're sick and someone tells you, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. Don't you believe that? Don't believe that. That's a seed of horrible theology. God may heal you. If you get sick, you call the elders to come and anoint you with oil. And let them pray for you. We have been called many times. Sometimes people have been healed. Sometimes they haven't. You may wonder why am I so passionate about this. Because people told me, if you had enough faith, if you'll bring your wife to, to, to be prayed for just like this, then God will heal her for that, from that brain tumor. He did heal her, but not in the way those people were thinking. The promises of God, the hope of God, is not about this life. You know what's wrong with you? You're so American. I am too. Somebody was telling me, you've got a real gift of applying Scripture. I said, I've got a real gift of hypocrisy is what I've got, you know. I mean, I wish I could apply it as well as I preach it. It's a hard life. And part of our hope is that we're sinful and we will stay sinful to the day we die. And part of it is we get sick and our transmission goes out and we lose our jobs. Then we've got a real hope one day when Jesus reigns, it's all done. You know what happens when you say, if you just have faith, you've gone back to making faith about you instead of Jesus. It's self-referential, and sooner or later it will lose its cause, which is to believe in someone else. You begin to believe in yourself, which is why you're so disappointed when you fail. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. See how the focus goes to Jesus? Once again, our hope is dependent upon God's faithfulness, not the quality of our faith. Uh, these Christian mothers in this town in Rome or in this city of Rome we're not praying, God, please enlarge our area, enlarge our spaces. Give us a bigger home. Give us more property. They were pay, praying, God, please do not let my husband be crucified. Do not let my children and me and my husband be made sport in the arena. And if you call us to martyrdom, make us strong. I can't do it. I'm too fearful. 
Help me, God. So he says, don't waver. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. What is our hope? <clears throat> or excuse me, what is the confession of our hope? Let's think about it this way. When, when we confess or proclaim what we believe, what is the basis of our confession? It's our understanding of Scripture. And it's the understanding not only that we have of Scripture, it's the understanding of what the saints throughout all the ages have had about what's right and what's wrong about the Trinity, about salvation by grace through faith, about baptism, about all of these. It, it, our confession is based on the truth of Scripture. If Satan can't get us to question the quality of our faith, he'll cause us to question the object of our faith. By causing us to examine God's claims about himself in light of our personal beliefs, which are often, more often than not, based on what the culture believes. So ever how the culture's going, that's kind of, you know what, I kind of agree with that. I, I just kind of agree with that. Look, in the late 18th century, some theologians began to talk amongst themselves. They began to think, you know, modern scientific man is just not going to accept, accept Scripture with all its claims of supernatural things that have happened. We need to see it to believe it. So let's demythologize Scripture. Let's take all of the, the, the claims to the supernatural out. And then we'll see that there's this beautiful word about how we should live and about faith and practice and about our relationship with God. But you don't have to worry about, you know, blind people being able to see and Jesus being raised from the dead. Don't worry about all that stuff. The problem with such a view is, is that God claims that his word is his perfect revelation about who he is and what we are to know about how he relates to the world and, and how his covenant people are to live. Essentially, God says, this is it. Accept it or not, I'm not going to defend myself to you. There are not too many in our day who worry so much about the supernatural claims. In our day, though, the theologians say, you know, postmodern man is just not going to accept Scripture with all of its exclusivity claims, its exclusive claims about who can get in and who can't. Hell? Who wants to believe in hell? Only one way to, to, to God, and that's through Jesus? Are you telling me that a wicked person, a murderer, say? can accept Jesus just before he dies, he goes to heaven, while a Buddhist who has done good all of his life doesn't go to heaven? And you're saying that God is sovereign over all things, that he is in charge of everything? Really? You mean he could stop evil and he doesn't? I far prefer to believe that God doesn't know what's going to happen and he's responding to evil. And this idea that God excludes people because of their sexual identity? Really? In 2016, you're going to say that? In response, here's what scripture would say. The only reason a person is kept from heaven is because of a refusal to believe in Jesus as the only hope of salvation. Now, you can't just create a Jesus of your own making... And then accept him and say, 
Jesus is just all right with me or me and Jesus are cool. He's dope and I'm, I'm all about it. And by the way, doesn't matter what you believe politically. You can be very conservative. You can be very liberal and create a Jesus of your own making. Pharisees, unreal conservative. Sadducees, unreal liberal and political. They both had created a God of their own liking. And when Jesus came as God, they said, you're not God. Heard that one of our guys at the TVR retreat heard somebody read the King James Version. He said, that's not the Bible. (laughs) That's not the real Bible. I thought, yes, we're in a different day now (laughs) than when I was a kid. You are encouraged as a body. We are encouraged encouraged as a body to hold to the confession of hope that we have believed based on the truth of God's word. That doesn't mean that Christians are better than anybody else. Please don't ever promote yourself as arrogant. We've already acknowledged that we're unworthy and any good in us comes from Jesus. But to say that we... But to say, don't judge me. I hear that all the time from younger ones. Don't judge me. Because I slept in this morning. Don't judge me. Don't judge me for anything, in fact. Don't judge me because of who I am is to say, I would rather the culture define me than the Bible. Well, wouldn't we all? Not really. I mean, we're just beginning to witness the culture is turning on itself in a big way. And one day, it will devour itself. As Paul Johnson, the British historian, says, Relativism in society as a whole, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me, always degenerates into confusion and confusion to chaos and chaos to anarchy. And out of anarchy, order will come, but it won't be the kind of order that you want. And it feels like we're beginning to see that already. Somebody is going to determine who is right or wrong. And the first ones who are going to be on the outs are the ones who say, well, we believe Scripture. We believe God determines what's right and what's wrong. Far better, far better in this day of absolute, utter chaos that we're in That you hold fast to your confession of hope without wavering. Hold unswervingly to the truth of scripture. And then last, cling tightly to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Church life can be just about the closest thing to heaven that you can find. It can also be just about the closest thing to, well, you, you, you know. I mean, when there's unity in the body, there is nothing quite like Life in church, peace and joy that flows from believers living as family as they were designed to be. What a great time that is. When there is disunity, it just feels wrong. It is wrong. It's somebody else's fault, of course, but it's just, it's just not right. What's going on in our church shouldn't be this way. It's no surprise that Satan would want to attack the love that we have naturally for one another. I, I say naturally, but truly it's a supernatural love of God that 
breaks down all the barriers of race and gender and nationality and social status and educational levels. Any natural barriers that typically separate us are gone in Jesus. In our unity, we're strengthened in our faith and encouraged in our confession of our in the confession of our hope to love one another. Faith, hope, and love. Right here. It's over and over in the New Testament if you just look for it. No wonder Satan wants us to bicker and gossip about one another. Let's look at verses 24 and 25 to see the last let us in our text. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day when Jesus will return. Now, if you read if you read verses 24 and 25 in the greater context, here's what you're likely to perceive. Hey, you should go to church because it'll help you and encourage you in your faith and one day when Jesus comes, it'll be good for you if you go to church. But but that is our American me first mentality of looking at scripture. Think about it this way as it is in reality. Hey, you should go to church so that you can encourage your brothers and sisters to stand strong in the face of persecution. And when Jesus comes, it'll be better for them if you were there helping them. The commentaries that I read on this passage were written by men who were convinced that the author was saying not so much that you're missing out if you don't go to church. But rather, you're betraying your fellow believers if you stop attending church. That is very strong language. If you'll stop, if you'll put these glasses off and put the other glasses on, you'll see exactly what he's saying. As has been stated repeatedly, the small group of believers who first heard this sermon were in a precarious Situation with the likelihood of persecution, the likelihood, not the possibility, the likelihood of persecution in their near future. Two things to consider in the light of this command in verses 24 and 5. First, to gather together. If the church were gathered together, it was far more likely that people would notice them and thus persecute them. Secondly, in light of that, And in light of God's command, it's better to fear God than to fear man. Don't stay away because it gets you in trouble. If you walk away from church, as we will hear very directly next week in the rest of this chapter, you will walk away from the words of life. And that has eternal consequences. How can we stir up one another? To good works. We can accomplish that at some level on Sunday mornings. As we see one another and encourage one another. But it really happens in the home groups. If you have ever attended a home group. This is the week to go back. Maybe you've gotten out of the habit. This is the week. This is going to be a very special service in our home groups. And those are services just like this is services. They look a lot different typically. Tonight, tomorrow night, Tuesday night in our home groups. We are going to worship. We're going to receive communion we're going to take the 
gather at the Lord's table and partake of the, of the bread and the, and the juice or the wine that represent the body and blood of Christ. If you've never been to a home group, this is the week to give it a try. Talk to any of our elders. Say, hey, I'd like to. They can get you connected. You won't be forced to say anything, but you will be blessed to worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every preacher gives attention to how he starts and how he finishes. We're ending right here. And that feels odd. You know why? Because it's like, what, wait a minute. Where we we got to land this thing. No, we're going to land it in home groups. Home groups are just as important as Sunday morning. If you got to choose one or the other, come here. But they're important. Come where we all gather together. That's what I'm saying. Not because you get to hear me, but just because we're all gathered But go to home group. Go to home group. It's every bit as important as this Sunday morning. Let's pray. On the last Sunday of the month, we take a benevolence offering at the end of the service. This money goes to help our brothers and sisters. It's one of the ways that we support one another and encourage one another in Christ. It also goes to those in our community who are in need. And it provides an opportunity to share the love of Jesus in very tangible ways. Father, this morning we give you thanks and praise that we have been invited into your very presence. We thank you For the faith that you have given us to believe that Jesus died for us. The world thinks it's crazy. They have every bit of these 2,000 years. We believe it. We're not playing at this. We believe it. Thank you for the confession of our hope. That we share together. That we believe in God the Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the three in one. We believe that by grace are you saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God given to us. Thank you for the confession of our hope. And thank you for the, 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 the command and the privilege to stir one another up and to be supported by brothers and sisters who believe as we do. Father, thank you for this beautiful body of Christ that is just a small taste of what it's going to be one day when the entire church is gathered into the throne room of God and we sing as one voice, with one voice, as one people, as we indeed are. Bring that taste of heaven to us. Season it with your word, the truth of Scripture, and give us hearts to believe. Focus our eyes on Jesus, not ourselves, not even our own faith, but the faith that you have given to us. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Would you remain standing for the benediction? With all the ways we've been encouraged this morning to remember who Christ is in our hearts. From Revelations 12, uh, sorry, verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 12. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. Go in peace.